Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. Why do I already got to catch hell for what the Hornets did last night as soon as I step into the studio? Because I heard Fitty talking today. I hear Shroppy as soon as I hop onto the mic. Hey, how many points did PJ have last night? Which I don't think hit the way he thought because PJ actually got going a little bit in the fourth quarter. But it was nice to see that Shroppy was shut down and now Fitty is over there angry. Is there any reason as to why you're coming at me already with PJ Washington stuff? Did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed? I just want to know what's wrong over there because we walked into the studio Wes and I said what's up I said what's up to him twice Mm -hmm. now if the roles were reversed Fitty would be all sorts of angry but I was going hey what's going on man are you doing okay and he doesn't say anything Mm. until we start talking PJ and then he starts talking trash are you okay Fitty? I said what's up and it just man how how aggressive do I want to be out of the gate (laughs) it's honestly laughable that in a game that was over in the middle of the third quarter. Yeah. PJ Washington got going in the fourth. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they got, I mean, <laughs> Hey, <laughs> no, Hey, well, no. Hey, earn, dude, earn that contract. We oh, know you're we, angry today. We, 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 get, we, we, we get angry fitty today. Can, can I tell you what my favorite part about Charlotte sports today was yeah. somebody like Josh Fitty Marlowe who champions refusing to watch the Charlotte Hornets, right? Like he champions this. He doesn't watch them. To then say, watching this team night in and night out. (laughs) These guys don't bring anything night in and night out. Like, dog, you don't watch night in and night out. And I, but I... (laughs) This is the thing that he gets mad about with other people who don't watch the squad. And then on Charlotte Sports Today, I heard that same very man say night in, night out when he champions not watching the Charlotte Hornets. We were also talking about how there's just a lack of, you know, a lack of professionalism within that organization. Why, why should, why should Hornet fans invest 82 nights to watch that product? That was pretty much. That's pretty much all we were talking about was that. Oh, that's yeah. Because like terrible. I was, I was at the season opener and when the season started and they gave a little bit of a clap for me. Yeah. And when they, (laughs) when they gave up, when they gave a little bit of a bleep, I watched, Mm -hmm. but by mid November, when they checked out and I think I ran a promo of Wes saying that he had checked out on them because it was very evident. They just don't care that they're not good. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not going to invest my, I mean, I've, I've got things to do with my life. Oh no, I know. I'm just saying that's why it was funny to hear you say night in and night out, but you don't watch. But, and I, okay, cause they don't, and I, they still don't bring it night in, night out. Okay. So I was, and look, I thought last night, the first half they played, they, they played hard. Mm-hmm. The five point game. You can't give up an 18, two run. Like you do every time in the third quarter to get blown out. Like, like if you're a Hornet fan, last night's rock bottom, right? Like oh, you, no way. Like it's not rock bottom. You're, at, just, you're yeah. at home. Now, granted, the Knicks are good. Oh, there is there is zero chance uh, that that is rock bottom whatsoever. The only way how that many you could possibly have, say how it's rock bottom. How many times have you heard MVP chants from the opposing team? in your building that took over the arena. Uh, so, I've heard that before when I'm yeah. in the Hornets game. Well, when like, they play people. None, none oh, okay, of this but is for like a Kobe, a LeBron. A, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like oh, Jalen Brunson's players. a fantastic player. But, this is but for un- Jalen Brunson? But so, so this is a Knicks fan base that where we have 
New York transplants all over the place here in Charlotte that are going to go see the Knicks when they're here. At rock bottom. I'm not going to tell you Bronson that they Knicks play been well. balling and they yeah, love Bronson and Brunson. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're a really good team. So I'm Bronson's not big dog. Look, the Hornets are terrible. Nobody's going to argue that to say that this is rock bottom. That just doesn't acknowledge the two Pistons losses. That's much yeah, worse. Spurs I don't care if it's on the road. I don't Spurs beaten by 30. Nah, man. Honestly, a first half performance where you kept it close <laughs> against the Knicks at home. I don't care how much they're chanting at Spectrum Center. Those bad losses are way more rock bottom than what you saw last night against the New York Knicks. It's Wesson Walker off and rolling. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. I promise we're actually not going to talk a whole bunch of Charlotte Hornets today. Thank God. Well, you guys talked about it for 40 minutes to lead the show. We, hey, we did. We, and look, because after <laughs> like, you, you see your... Thank God. Well, you guys, you were a part of the problem, quote unquote. No, you guys I, did it for like 40 minutes. I listened to pretty much the entire show. I'm just or saying... at least the first hour. I'm just saying that for those 45 minutes of eloquent sports talk, we're kind of horneted out mm-hmm. but there is something to talk about when your 250 million dollar player doesn't care that his team is getting his ass kicked once again we'll get into the there. laughing clip that goes viral on twitter <laughs> with bryce mcgowans with james book and Lamelo ball but really the, the show today we have greg olson who is continuing to do great work with the Hardest Yard Program, H-E-A-R-T, Hardest Yard Program. There's going to be an ungala, the third annual ungala at Stake 48 in order to raise money for congenital heart disease. Of course, if you don't know that story, Greg Olson and Kara Olson's child, TJ, actually was born with a congenital heart defect, and he had to fight and battle to continue on with his 11-year-old life now, and he's doing well. So we caught up with Greg Olson to hear more about TJ's story, but also just how much this event has continued to raise awareness for any child suffering a congenital heart disease. We'll also get into the Panthers' offseason, talk to him about Tom Brady lurking over his shoulder. Did you ask him why we're not invited to the gala? I don't know if Big 48. I did not. I there was, you know, it felt like unbecoming if this is the whole charity event and then I tried to make it about me. I didn't want to do that. I was like, yeah. okay, well this is great, but can we go? I didn't want to do that. No, free steak 48 meal. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't do that. <laughs> Anyways, at 2 p.m. we have Ron Rivera also joining us. So Ron Rivera, like, what's gonna happen? With him and his future, he's going to be able to talk about it after, I believe, reportedly reportedly taking an interview for the defensive coordinator job. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. He's going to be a D.C. or he's just going to chill. Oh, so we don't have to have him on. I'll I'll get him. I'll get rid of him. And he, <laughs> Rod Rivera, I'll be a DC or chill. Thank you, Rod, DC for joining us chill, on the Body baby, Works DC Plus hotline. And then we're done. All right, let's pull up to the scene. We got an angry bus driver. He's driving crazy. We're pulling over. Let's get, off the, let's get off the bus. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. Damn! The bagel guy is quoting Wes Bryant, closed mouths don't get fed. Which is, which is a literally phrase. don't get fed steak forty eight. I know, I know that's true. So let's get into this loss just a little bit more with the Hornets last night. I think the positive thing to talk about is how good Brandon Miller looks, and I think most people last night they certainly care about his twenty nine point performance, Wes. But I think most people just care that he had the towel over his head and seemed to care. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder if Brandon Miller would have gone one of eighteen last night and just showed you that picture, 
I think people would still be thrilled after the performances he's already had with that guy potentially being a leader. And so let me ask you this. How good should we feel about Brandon Miller and the $200 million man that he was talking about? How polarizing is he at this point? Um, well, I think with Brandon Miller, like I said, it's especially hard for young guys coming into the NBA. And not that he won a national championship at Alabama, but he still had a pretty solid year in his year there. And then you're talking about winning all through that high school, AAU, whatever the case may be. So I would imagine, you know, he seems like he's cut from that cloth and he's not enjoying this winning night in, night out. He's probably never gone through anything like this in his entire life, especially the lopsided scores. And as far as LaMelo goes... Uh, well, Melo just kind of all stirs into a pot. And it's not that I don't think Melo cares at all, but it's just, you know, the interviews and, you know, how he still can't seem to get that buttoned up yet. And then, you know, laughing on the sidelines and then just not really ever showing true emotions on the court, especially emotions of anger when things aren't going right. And I think that's the issue everybody has with LaMelo. The most emotion we see from him is laughing on the sideline when his team is getting smashed and his coach just got ejected. Now, I'm not saying that's the worst thing in the world just because you're losing a game. I mean, somebody could have said something or something could have happened to where you just can't hold the laugh in. I mean, who knows what Clifford said? You know, you hear your coach going off on a ref. As I'm saying, you hear your coach coach going off and he says something crazy, then that's just going to make you laugh. So I'm not going to fault him with that. But with Melo, it's just the optics of everything. Like, people already look at him. Uh, as an immature superstar and so when you do stuff like that it just kind of gives people more fuel for the fire this is this is why i hate this conversation though like i understand it's worth having but the reason i hate it it's because the only thing i can really go off of is that 10 second clip of yes them absolutely getting destroyed in the second half although it was like they were in the fourth quarter i guess it got what did it get to single digits it got close maybe um did it not get to single digits at all? Like, I was trying to think of... They got, they got to 14. Yeah, when I was... When they were making a run, yeah. so 14 and never not... Be that close. Fake comeback. Fake yeah. comeback, for sure. So, I saw that, I guess not destroyed, but still getting beat down. And LaMelo is laughing, and we get this however long clip it is, like not even 10 seconds, whatever it may be. Like, I don't, I don't know why they're laughing. I wonder if they were laughing because Steve Clifford got ejected, and it's funny when you have an angry coach story. Like... When we've told those stories before on the airwaves about, hey, tell us the time that your coach got so angry, texted in 704-570-9610, which maybe (laughs) that's just a real question that you could go ahead and answer here because it is funny. Like, I can remember a couple of times. The thing is, I didn't laugh at the time because I realized it probably wasn't the time to do so. And that's the thing, too, and I guess people are mad about that, just having the awareness to know, like, look, man, we're getting smashed right now. We probably shouldn't be over here. Mm-hmm. laughing and joking, especially the people he was doing it with. You know, you got Book Knight over there beside you, key-keying it up, and we know that he brings nothing uh, to the court ever. So when you see him laughing, you're just looking like, right. damn, why are you over there laughing and joking with that guy? So it's, do we like the Brandon Miller-Lamelo duo going forward? Because it can be. Yeah, we like it. It's, it's super talented. There's yeah. so much potential there. There's no question. You have to like it. But, you know, you just wonder... You know, the clashing of, of the personalities. Like, is Brandon going to be the intense one? And then LaMelo still kind of just like, you know, free-flowing, fun-loving mellow. And is it going to be a time where he kind of gets that type of intensity uh, out there on the court? Yeah, I, I wonder if Brandon Miller becomes the leader, becomes the guy that galvanizes the troops and cares. Because I do think that that was something pretty visible as soon as the season started. He was here for all of the smoke. He was ready for it. Yeah. He was ready for the moment. 
there are a lot of pressure coming in as a second overall pick where everybody in the well I wouldn't say everybody in the world that's not true but a lot of people wanted Scoot Henderson yes I have my hand raised all the way in the air clearly being adamant that they should take Scoot so many other people were just like that so there's pressure for Brandon Miller to come in here and perform quite a bit not to mention not only do you have Scoot Henderson on one side you're in the middle of a sandwich which also includes a generational talent as the number one overall pick if you have any kind of chip on your shoulder you might say hey i should have been that number one pick even though you shouldn't have you still might have that because that's what the best competitors do and here he is after what was a tough stretch in december going into january the guy has really stepped it up and wes when we had him on last week he said ain't no rookie wall I'm not hitting yeah, he did. Now, he did. Now, what was hilarious about that is if you watched his interview last night with Ashley Shamedy, my boy was tired. <laughs> he could not form complete sentences without saying, you know, we just got to come out with better energy in the second half. It was he answered two questions and then Ashley also noticed it and said, go catch your breath. Yeah, that actually said that. So the rookie wall might be there fatigue-wise, but it's not there with production. And to see what he was able to do, it is really special. And I do think if LaMelo and Brandon, LaMelo's got to stay healthy. Those guys have to just play together. I want to see them develop chemistry. And then you fill the pieces. Like, as as much as we talk about PJ, I'm the guy that loves him for sure. I would love to trade him and get a protected first-round pick and then salary filler. Like, yes, I understand that PJ, if you want to keep him fine, if you want to trade him for assets, that makes all the sense in the world. Do the same thing with Miles Bridges as long as he agrees to it because he has that power right now under the qualifying offer. But this is the time. Buy out Kyle Lowry. See what you can get for Gordon Hayward at the deadline. If you can't get anything for him, then, oh, well, you're going to lose him. Maybe explore a sign-in trade. I don't expect it to happen. But, Wes, as much as we try to say like a top three with Brandon Miller, LaMelo Ball, and Mark Williams – we just never get any good news on Mark Williams right now. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. I, I got high hopes for him, but we just never get any good news. It's really up to that duo. And now we're even entertaining the conversation if Brandon is the lead guy, despite LaMelo getting that $200 million contract. Yeah. And I mean, you, you know, you're going to want to go with the guy that gives you the impression that he wants to win the most as far as just him showing that he cares like that, man. And, and I know that Melo shows it from being a gym rat and, and the different things like that. And Melo's kind of a lead by example more so, I would imagine he is. I don't take him to be super verbal as far as getting on guys. I think Melo's a guy that will uh, cheer you on and give you encouragement, but I'm not sure if he's the guy that's going to be able to stay and have those uncomfortable conversations. And I think Brandon Miller seems like the type of guy that he's going to be that type of player. And they need that in that locker room. And that's why I said, you know, they, they have to find a good balance this offseason of veterans to go along with some of these players that are still coming along to be able to get the right mix in there so they could come out and play with, with the winning mentality, man, because you know, you're showing on the scoreboard, basically, how hard it is. It's like, do you not care that you're just getting bludgeoned night in and night out? Like, when are you guys going to fight, you know, to the finish and, and things of that nature and really get sick and tired of losing? And I think that's what the fans really want to see and hear from this team is that they're just sick and tired of the losing. Um, we did have Bagel Guy, I think, right in. We need to know. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Tar Heel B. Tar Heel B wrote in on the text line. Let's talk about that shirt Wes has on at Doghouse on the Doghouse billboard. Got me needing a beach and a cold beer. Do you remember what shirt you're wearing? I'm wearing the, uh, 
I'm wearing the, the um, Charlotte FC jacket that's got all the colors. Oh, yeah, like that, yeah, it is bright. Yeah. Well, I remember taking those pictures mm-hmm. while we were promoting the show. Yeah. And here I am trying to wear a polo, like not WFNZ, <laughs> but just try to do the prototypical uh, photo shoot for a radio station. And then Wes comes in with the loudest jacket that either one of us owns. And, and you own some loud jackets. And it, it can't get more loud. It's neon. It's colorful. It's flowers. It's all yeah. up in your face. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I wish I would have worn something a little bit more like me, too. And so yeah, I hate those pictures of oh, me. Wes man. looks great, but I can't stand how I look I in those pictures, man. I mean, we have... Oh, I heard the high pitch. Don't, don't play with me. <laughs> no, it looks great. I'm just saying we have... A billboard. I mean, I didn't even oh, yeah. know about it until like a couple months ago. Uh, my girl told me one of her friends saw it. So, no, that's an accomplishment. I All think right. you look great on there, man. Thank you. All right, make sure you go by the doghouse, see me look awkward, and see Wes look flashy. <laughs> <laughs> you can listen to us 12 to 3 every weekday, of course, just as you are right now on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Let's switch gears. Let's talk more about the Carolina Panthers. Conference championship weekend turned Super Bowl game a couple of weeks from now. Now, which team that made conference championship weekend could the Panthers most likely emulate? We'll dig into that coming up next. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Thanks for joining us. Whether you're clowning me for being on the billboard, Panther Bo supporting me saying, Big Walk, you're on a billboard, man. Who cares if you look ripped? Right. That's what I said. I mean, that, that means there's more eyeballs on it. I, I care true, a little bit. But there's a lot of people that would love to be up there where we are. Not if you look like me, I don't think. No, it's Wesson no, Walker. They, they <laughs> That's why it. I do radio. That's why <laughs> I do take radio. It. They take it. Uh, they probably would. You can text it, 704-570-9610. I led with the question coming in here, which team that made conference championship weekend could the Panthers most likely emulate? Wes, I ask this because I feel like the example of a quarterback that had a rough go at the beginning of their career mm-hmm. that ended up figuring it out is Jared Goff. Okay. That's a comment that I've gone with for quite a while, seeing him have an emergence in L.A. Mm-hmm. and then fall off, or at least fall off to the point where Sean McVay doesn't want him, right? Like, still putting up good enough numbers, but there's a reason McVay didn't want Jared Goff anymore, and he struggled at the very beginning with the Detroit Lions, and then things started to move on, and now here you are with Jared Goff the last couple of seasons putting up really good numbers, and we get to the point where you get to the postseason, and Jared Goff can be that guy that leads you to a Super Bowl. One, because we saw it with a smart mind, with the right team around him in L.A., and we almost saw it here. So Jared Goff, that level of quarterback, can get you to the Super Bowl. And so now, if we use Jared Goff as this example of Bryce Young just making that kind of jump in their second season after having what was a bad year, their rookie season in the league, and then you get him help at the wide receiver position. You have to hit on some of these late-round draft picks like the Lions did with the Monroe St. Brown. You invest in the offensive line. You get a smart offensive mind, whether it be McVay or whether it be Ben Johnson. 
Wes, is that the place you go to when you try to emulate one of these teams that did make conference championship weekend? And by the way, I mean, Detroit's history of not getting there is far worse than Carolina's. Like, if we want to talk about a snake-bitten franchise, then Detroit has far, far more snake bites than what Carolina has on, uh, you know, when you look back at its history going back to 1995. Yeah, all right. So, as I go through each of the teams, because, like, Kansas City has a quarterback that's a force multiplier. So, we're not – we saw this season that kind of Bryce Young that may not be in his set early at this point because he doesn't have enough NFL experience. And so, that would be a tough one. And kind of the same thing with the Ravens. Can you find that game – you know, just that that game-changing, game-breaking guy like a Lamar Jackson that's so dynamic in so many ways. And like I said, Detroit and San Francisco, because my first thought was going to be San Francisco because of the fact that they were dealing with a young quarterback of their own as well. But then I just think about, you know, all of the draft picks on that team, and it's like, can the Panthers hit, I guess, on some of those guys? So that, I mean, that's a very interesting question, but I think, to your point, I think Detroit, as far as when you look at work in progress amongst the final four, they would be the biggest work in progress because their defense still is a little bit to be desired, I'd say. Yeah. The Panthers uh, have a little bit better defense statistically, but they their defense still needs some tooling. And then offensively, man, it's so hard to compare them to any of them and to see what they could be. But I think I would probably go with Detroit, too, if you want to go with the parallel of having the quarterback. Because at first I was trying to wonder – how Bryce would compare to Jared Goff, but like you said, the starts to their career, reviving themselves, and then you talk about them just drafting well, or you talk about all the offensive linemen that they've had drafting, uh, the pass rusher and Hutchinson with the defense. So I'd go with Detroit too because I guess they're still kind of the, the most attainable when you look at all four teams in their totality as far as which team can we get to to where we can be close to? Him? Well, and so the reason I don't go San Francisco, I think you look at, okay, Brock Purdy, literally the last pick in the draft mm-hmm. is out here playing well enough, allowing San Francisco to get to the Super Bowl. Detroit didn't quite make it, but that same QB did get as a first overall pick, by the way, who mm-hmm. didn't look good their first season, did get to the Super Bowl with the Rams and almost did with Detroit. The problem with San Francisco is, you're asking for top-end hit after top-end hit. Yeah. I mean, think about everybody they hit on, whether it be first, second, fifth. Uh, that, that arsenal of weapons where Debo Samuel fell a little bit in the draft because of injury concerns, but was an absolute beast at South Carolina. Just a beast. So he falls... He even still has those same injury concerns, but him alongside Kyle Shanahan, match made in heaven. You also have George Kittle, who is fantastic. What is it? The second season? Like, good first year. And then has this big breakout. Remember, he had like four plays of 70 yards that one year where he was just a deep threat at the tight end position. It was crazy. And then also, you use a first-round pick on a Brandon Ayuk, who was like inconsistent, but it was just basically because of the way Shanahan used him, and now that dude is really good. So you hit on everybody, not to mention the defense. Yeah. I mean, think about how many guys you hit on that side of the ball as well. I just think it's a lot harder to hit, 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 hit in the draft, where with Detroit, yeah, they've done a nice job in the selection process too, but you're right. If you have three, four picks in the first two rounds— then it's 
I would I would imagine a little bit easier to hit on the talent that's there. So you invest the running backs as much as people when a joke with me about not caring about running backs. One thing I'll absolutely admit to if you draft a running back in the first round, 85 percent of the time, those guys are studs. So if you want to just go ahead and take care of that position, draft one in the first round, you're going to get a good one. So Jameer Gibbs, clearly very good. Sam Laporta. As we start to see rookie tight ends contribute way more than they ever have, Laporta is a hit. Brian Branch defensively. Falls, it's kind of surprising. Matt Campbell is a hit. So you start to see how Brad Holmes has been able to navigate this, having already done the, okay, we draft Panay Sewell, we invest in Decker, we got Frank Ragnow in the first round as well, and so you solidified that offensive line. It just feels like a little bit, it feels like a a goal that is a little more attainable to me. And then you have to get the right coach. It's it's still hard. Yeah, I agree with that. That's why I said if, yeah. if I had to look at which one's the most attainable because it's like Kansas City, are you going to draft a guy that's going to be transcended at the position could almost be uh, looked at by some now as the greatest of all time. So it's like, are you going to draft that guy? That's a little unrealistic. Baltimore, too, you know, are you going to select a two-time MVP? Maybe Bryce Young, his book is not written yet. Maybe he does, mm-hmm. but... Uh, you know, right now that's a goal that's way down the list. We just want to get him playing competent football on a weekly basis. That's where you're at with that. And, you know, defensively, all the talent that they've got there, San Francisco, like you just pointed out, all those reasons. So I would say Detroit is probably the most attainable, but yet and still you got your work cut out for you if you want to get to that point because you've got to hit on uh, those picks, like you said. Well, and San Francisco is so weird when you go from one iteration to the other because the first time they were atop the NFC and at least in Tier 1 in the league, they did it with Jimmy Garoppolo. We have varying opinions on how good Jimmy was, but Jimmy, I don't think, was a top five QB, which is how he was paid initially upon receiving that contract. And so if Jimmy wasn't giving you top five quarterback performance, despite the contract dictating that, that means you had to hit on all of your draft picks on their rookie scale contracts. It's the exact opposite. So you had the QB that wasn't performing up to the level of the deal, but everybody else was hitting. So it's the inverse of the Russell Wilson idea that every team wanted to bite a little bit off of. So now here you have Kansas City, too, that some people are writing in really only with, hey, they got Pat Mahomes at number 10. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not going to wait until they draft the next Pat Mahomes because... I might die before that happens. Yes. In fact, I probably would. (laughs) So I'm not going to wait for that. But I get the point from PWD who writes in, who is the number one quarterback to make it to the Super Bowl and the one to win it. Mahomes is number 10, as I recall, meaning nine other teams thought someone else was better. But now they'd all take him number one if they knew how much of a baller he would be. Yeah, you just got to hit on the draft and you can't really care about what everybody else's board looks like. And now Pat Mahomes is, you know, I called him Jordan yesterday, like, I've seen now, like, we're probably going to do the Brady Mahomes stuff. So the joke of sports radio, the most cliche debate that you can possibly have is Michael versus LeBron. And that's been the case for five, six, seven years, however long. Are we going to see Brady and Mahomes be on that tier for the next decade plus or something like that? Because it feels like we might be there after he continues to just get to these championship games. Yeah, I mean, no question about it. I think we're going to have that conversation after he loses his Super Bowl. Yeah. uh, You know, we're going to (laughs) still have those conversations. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, but that's because San Francisco is so good. Like, what is right? Jordan and it's gonna not going to be. Fred? I mean, like I said, but the thing is, win or lose, whether he wins this or loses or not, you have the feeling that you know we're going to see him multiple. Uh, there's going to be multiple trips for him even after this. Like, there's no way you could see a future where there's not uh, more Super Bowl appearances for the Kansas City Chiefs with him at the helm. Do you think Tepper thought he was drafting Pat Mahomes when he gave us the point guard philosophy? I'm sure he did. How we can just spend less money on wide receivers because he's going to be so good. I'm sure he did. And that's exactly, it It actually is funny. It, it, Tepper's probably sitting there looking at the TV. See, I told you. Pat Mahomes, yeah, he can just play point guard, and we really don't need to spend money on wide receiver. We'll be good. <laughs> and you look at Rasheed Rice as your number one wide receiver, MVS. This is what I was trying to tell Carolina, but it's Frank Reich's fault. Do you think he's pointing at the television saying, I was right, and that's why I'm going to get Brant Tillis to help us figure out how we get there from Kansas City's organization? That's how I picture. And the Panthers and the Lions also, too, are kind of built on similar sentiments. Like the Lions do like to throw the ball, but at their core – they're a, you know, hardcore, run the football, be physical. Uh, they want to play great defense. They're not at that point yet. But as far as just their mantra, like they want to be a very physical team. We know what they represent up front with those guys and how they can dominate. And then with that running attack for the, for Detroit, that's where it starts and finishes with their run game. So, you know, that that's another aspect that's a little similar because the Panthers, yeah. we know, they keep pounding mantra and how it's built on physicality and toughness and running the ball and stopping the run. Well, and it is interesting how the NFL is also cyclical, right? I mean, you can apply that to a bunch of different factors in life and such as sports. As we get to the NFL, you can see how cyclical the league is with Kansas City having – you still have to have an amazing QB. And that's that's been true for champions even in, in past. But – Pat Mahomes is amazing. Running game matters. Baltimore, amazing. We're mad at Todd Munkin for running the ball like six times. Gus Edwards had one carry for 15 yards and he didn't go back to it. Kyle Shanahan has long been the run play god. Like, that's what we've seen. And so with Carolina, that's been their identity for so long. You need to make it work. Chuba Hubbard did not. You can you can win with Chuba as a running back, third down back. I'd like to see somebody a little more dynamic, but I have no problem like Deontay Foreman mold. Right. Like, you know, you can do that, but that's because the offensive line played a lot better. And at times they had adequate QB play. The idea is to set your running game up to where you can be a force top five, top 10 in the league. That's the identity that they would like to have. And a QB that is better than adequate, a QB that can be special. And that's why you do draft Bryce Young, number one overall, because you feel that he does have that ability. And if that's the case, if Dave Canales can get that idea and bring it into reality with Carolina, then who knows how long it is until they're starting to compete. And what's a weak division at this point, but clearly we would like to compete in a strong division and eventually the conference. Yeah, I mean, the offseason obviously hasn't begun yet, and that's going to be the key thing is what are the Panthers going to do because it's not completely out of the question that this team – can go from being one of the worst teams to making the playoffs. Like, we see it every single year. And I'm not saying that the Carolina Panthers will make the playoffs next season, but it's not inconceivable. And so free agency is going to be of the utmost importance. But also, like we said, you feel like some of these teams are getting a bit of a head start. Like, if Atlanta finds that quarterback, what does that look like? If New Orleans can get their offense together, what does that look like? And then we know Tampa's the champion of the division. So it's kind of weak to a degree uh, in that – 
you got two teams that are sitting there, and they, it could go either way. Uh, you know, Atlanta could absolutely blow up, or they could just stay mediocre. And then the same thing with the Saints. So you got two teams that you're hoping don't make the requisite moves to really get them going. And then you're also hoping that Tampa Bay uh, doesn't retool and make themselves better to make the division that much harder for you to come up. So you got to kind of hope for worst case scenarios with the other teams in the division. And then for you to have an excellent offseason and for Bryce Young to really take that next step. And the last thing that we've been missing for a while here in Carolina the last offensive coordinator that this fan base embraced to the fullest is probably Chud. People didn't even like Mike Shula. Yeah. People hated Mike Shula. Chud despite with Cam Newton. Well, despite, well, yes, for sure. And then he gets a head coaching job because he did such a great job with Cam. But Mike Shula in 2015, the year they get to the Super Bowl, it is the number one offense. But even then, people were like, no, nah, we got to get Mike Shula on up out of here. They didn't like it. And then you bring in... What was it, North Turner? I like North Turner. I think I think people liked him enough. They didn't fully embrace him, but I, I liked him. What he yeah, did, I mean, here. he was just a well-respected yeah. veteran guy. Rings. And then we did the Joe Brady thing. I've always been more of a Brady apologist, and he was good enough at least to get more interviews going into the second year. And then that's when Matt Rule started to play the blame game. Said he wasn't even in the building when he got fired, and then people were mad at Brady for that. But really, it's Matt Rule for doing it when people go on vacation during the bye week yeah. like that just <laughs> Matt rule stuff. I told you how I almost wanted to go foul line on Matt rule yesterday, but the last time that we've seen an offensive coordinator or a play caller embraced, it was Chud man. And I, I would love to see that back. You know, it's been over 10 years. How great would it be to just check Twitter and be like, Oh man, Canales is in his bag a little bit. Yeah. We like what Canales is doing. I ain't seen it in a long time, Wes. <laughs> and I would love to see it here with Canales as that head coach. He is expected to be the play caller, so it would be him that would be that guy. Let's move on and continue to talk about some NFL free agent list. Matt Bowen released a list on ESPN.com. Who's more valuable, Brian Burns or T. Higgins? They are ranked right next to each other. We'll discuss it coming up next. Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. to the stage in the show where we're discussing former offensive coordinators of the Panthers. I don't know if you could say it was the glory days of the Panthers because as we just mentioned, even when they got to the Super Bowl, we didn't fully embrace the offensive coordinator in Mike Shula. People did write in a little bit about Norv Turner, 704-570-9610. Kevin said, we liked Norv until Cam broke, and that was the reason we didn't like Norv Turner after that. Butters wrote in, I like Butters, Mike Shula is the reason Cam never became Josh Allen consistently great. I think people would probably argue that he wasn't, at least for the time that he was healthy here in Carolina. So many people are discussing how we haven't seen anything like Josh Allen before, which that's the one that I understand why that grinds the gears of Panthers fans. Because Cam was special, for sure. Yeah, he was. I mean, you know, Josh Allen gets all the credit for the stuff that Cam Newton was doing before him, so we know what's up with that. Josh is very good, though, clearly. Uh, 704 writes in on the text line, too, when I was asking about the free agent list. To me, it's not even close between Brian Burns and T. Higgins. 
T. Higgins is the guy. Burns gets blocked by tight ends too much for me, and he absolutely shuts it down if he thinks he can't make the play. He's no Derek Brown, plus we can draft an elite-level uh, rusher next year. This offense sells tickets. We got Cam first, then Luke. One, I actually completely disagree about how Brian just shuts down. Like I think we've seen some motor sacks from him where he just continued. I know it was part of the reason that you didn't want to pay him like what 30 million dollars or west was because it's not like he's beating the guy every single time off of the line of scrimmage that a lot of times it'll just be because the QB holds on to the football for a while and then Brian not giving up on the play will go bring him down. So I don't know if I agree with all of that. I, I do think if you get some help for your quarterback and you get somebody like T Higgins who has been productive when healthy, that would really help the squad. And it would help Bryce Young, which ultimately I think is the number one task for head coach Dave Canales. Yeah, you got to try to go out and find a guy that even if he's not a just consensus number one receiver, you got to go get a guy that's, that's going to help a ton. And I think for T. Higgins, I think he fits that mode. I do think that he is a number one receiver. And I think that he's a guy that, you know, stepping out of that Cincinnati spotlight and coming here to Charlotte to play would be very advantageous for him. And obviously – uh, for the Panthers. And so, um, but if you had to choose between the two, I mean, that's a tough choice because the, the text is saying, you know, you can go out and find another. Breaking news for yeah. the first time since Canales was named head coach. What's the breaker here, Fitty? Per Jeremy Fowler, reposted by Adam Schefter, the Panthers plan to hire Bucks wide receiver coach Brad Idzik. As their offensive coordinator. And so I might have butchered so his last name. we knew that name. was coming. No, I think that's correct. But, Good job uh, by you. Any, any former Demon Deacon? I don't think so. Let me look him up. But All I right. We're I don't going ever to remember s- Brad Idzik. We're going to see if Brad Idzik was a former Demon Deacon. But this is the name that everybody was throwing out there. It's what made the most sense. Brad this Idzik. Is correct. So he went to Wake Forest. He sure oh. did. He played wide receiver for four seasons at Wake Forest. How much do we like him now? Is he the real deal? I mean, you know, I always got to support a fellow Demon Deacon, so. He's the next Mike McDaniel, baby. I'm here for him. So that's the next endorsement. (laughs) What do you think of Idzik? I always have to support a Demon Deacon, so I'm here for it. (laughs) Welcome to the the city, Idzik. You know what I'm saying? The Demon Deacon. So this offense is now going to be scoring 45 a game. Can't wait to see it. Honestly, I don't care. I would love it. You know, as as sacrilegious as it might be to say, I don't care if he's from Duke. Brad Idzik can get this team scoring 40 points. I would love to see it. I know Fiddy's not exactly feeling that, but I would still love to see it. Well, you know who uh, Baker's quarterback coach was in Tampa? Who's that? Thaddeus Lewis, former Duke quarterback. Yep. So he could yeah, become the they were talking about him. staff. Yeah, they were talking about him being possibly there, uh, the Bucks OC, too. God, dude, he was a problem at Duke. He I was. Said, I said Duke was like, I don't know about quasi, but maybe like a little bit of a QBU. No, like, okay, like, how many quarterbacks like they put QBU? in the They do. Backup QBU. No, but, but you sleep, and they, they have put some guys in there, man, that, that were decent. You NFL just said Lewis was a problem. Here's the thing. So can can we agree on backup QBU? Well, I don't know because Anthony Boone he didn't make the NFL. Did he? he was a no, good college No, their big guys are. Let's see, Daniel Jones. Yep. Um, Thaddeus Riley Leonard, when he gets there, I'm counting him as Duke. I don't care if he goes to Notre Dame. Thaddeus Lewis, Renf- and I feel Renfrey, like there's one more. Renfrey was uh was playing for the Falcons for a little bit yeah. as a backup. Yeah. As a backup. Yeah. yeah, so they've had a few guys. I declare it. Backup QBU. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Duke is. <laughs> 
Hey, NC State can QBU, to make a whatever. Backup QBU, that's going to be Duke. Brad Idzik becoming the next offensive coordinator for Dave Canales as the head coach here in Carolina. It made all the sense as soon as Canales was announced that guy for the Panthers. Everybody pointed to him as the most likely candidate to receive that OC job. He was the only guy that followed Canales all the way to Tampa from Seattle. And so it would make sense that he would follow Canales from Tampa Bay to now Carolina as he continues to rise up the ranks. And I talked a little bit about this with Greg Olson, Wes, but I like that Canales is expected to call plays. So now if this Panthers team and Canales gets credited for such an improvement offensively, and you see how much a year, how much difference a year can make. It, it'll get Bobby Slowick a job. It'll get Canales a job. It almost got Ben Johnson a job had he not just wanted to go back to Detroit. So it's like multiple times each season where we're having the, has he too an experience debate? No, not in today's day and age. You got one year of play calling under your belt. That's enough for me to hire you. So maybe Idzik is of the Frank Smith, Brian Callahan elk. To where if they have this big old turnaround, I'm not saying they're going to, but if they have even significant improvement, if they're an average offense from dead last to this past year, and you just have this hypothetical where Idzik maybe leaves, at least now you have a guy like Canales, who is the offensive coach. And keep everything in place. And continue to call plays, which I don't know if I've put the main focus on for some of these head coaches I, even with Brian Callahan, who I liked, I started to fall in love with him. Number four on my most attracted list. Brian Callahan comes over to Carolina. It wasn't a, foregone, a foregone conclusion that he was going to be the trigger man. And so if that's the case, then he could have one of his offensive coaching assistants leave to where now you got to hire another play caller. And now Bryce Young has to go through something similar, but still different. That's why I do like my head coach being the play caller. And I get it. You got a lot of responsibilities to the head man. Totally understand that. I don't care. I still want you to be the trigger man whenever it comes down to you or your top offensive assistant. And it makes you wonder just as we're having a conversation. It's like, man, is most of the league going to end up converting yourself to having offensive coaches? Like, is this starting to become the demise of the defensive head coach? And I know that. Uh, D'Amico's doing what he's doing in Houston, but it seems like all of these teams, especially when they know they're going to draft a young quarterback that's going to be there, uh, are going to go for the the offensive-minded coaches. So I think what happens is for the young quarterbacks, because you have to invest in them so much, I don't think you're going to see a lot of defensive-minded guys get those jobs, even if we did just see it with D'Amico Ryans last year. That's a thing, and I totally get it. It doesn't mean they're extinct. But with the young QBs, whether it be a rookie or a second-year reclamation project, even a third-year guy like maybe Justin Fields, hey, this is it or we're moving on scenario, you're going to see a lot of offensive minds take those jobs. But then maybe those guys turn into legit stars. Maybe you already have a legit star on your squad. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Yeah. Then those guys are calling plays at the line of scrimmage anyway. Mm -hmm. So now you can go bring in somebody that is a defensive mind. They can worry about the other side of the ball. That's what I think happens. And that's where I think a defensive minded head coach has his spot in the NFL. Yeah, that makes sense. I hope that Bryce can reach that point. That'd be fantastic. So Brad Idzik, as the news comes in, um, Brad Idzik, the wide receivers coach in Tampa Bay, he will be the new offensive coordinator here in Carolina. Tell us what you think. 704-570-9610. I do like that somebody with a significant position 
was put there because of the head coaching decision. Yeah, that's uh, you. You hit it right on the head. I was going to say that I like the the continuity between those two. He has his guy that he's bringing in here. It's not somebody they're just mixing and matching together because we heard the big thing, all of the voices in Bryce Young's ear. Uh, Coach Canales has his guy in there. They share the same philosophy, so it's not going to be a different message. Even if things aren't going the way it needs to go, there's still going to be the same message being delivered from head coach to offensive coordinator uh, to the other offensive coordinator. So I think Bryce has to be excited about that, that he's going to get that consistency. What most people are writing in, some people are writing in on the text line, their opinion on it. We have Panther Bo saying Brad is a goofy looking guy. Looks like he has resting stank face. Hey, I know all about those <laughs> resting unfortunate faces, okay? Resting THC face. I get it, Brad. Sometimes people are just born looking goofy in this world. But the stars are starting to line up, though, and the Texans are saying it too, man, for yep. maybe a possible Mike Evans signing. That's the number one mention we're getting. As we continue on with all of these connections, most people are writing in, hey, does this mean that we're going to get Mike Evans? Well, hell, I mean, Mike Evans is going to come to Carolina now, too, that you got wide receiver coach turned OC in Canales to be the head guy and wide receiver coach turned into OC here in Carolina and Brad Idzik. Mike Evans might as well follow. I, what's unfortunate is all of the reports suggest that Mike Evans isn't going anywhere. And so you'd have to be working against what's being reported right now, but things can change constantly. It'd be great. That'd be great for Baker's Bryce. definitely going to work on him. He's mm-hmm. going to do everything that he can to try to keep him from going. But it's just a matter of if the Panthers can be persuasive and you know the worst. Because didn't he send a tweet that everybody was talking about where he said uh, something that was very glowing about Canales and how fun it was or must Who, Greg Olson? No, or, uh, Mike Evans said that. Because well, he's, we had a, he had a, a comment that we aired. That. Yeah, he had a, go ahead, Fitty. Hit, hit it. Do we have it? No, no, I just want you to come back to me just because of semi-breaking news. We talked about this yesterday. Ben Johnson staying in Detroit has turned down. Wow. Yeah. To me. Well, I mean, but not for us. Yeah, uh, but that's 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 a big deal yeah. to me. Oh, God, you know what? Wow. Oh, wait, no, why? Wait. Run, demon. Oh! There, react. There you go. <laughs> ben Johnson staying in Detroit. <laughs> Let's go, Fitty. Let's go. That that is very surprising to me, man. We're gonna get to that again as the show goes on. But yeah. wow, maybe he did what Fitty said yesterday, which I thought Fitty brought up a great point about if I buy my time, mm-hmm. there will be jobs where I feel like I can be an instant winner available That's, next season. And that, he's probably getting head coaching money anyway to be that offensive coordinator because you know Dan Campbell probably told the owner, you don't pay his. You don't pay him. I'll bite your kneecap off. So <laughs> this is what we met it, when Dan Campbell went to the podium after that postseason loss and he felt so much it. He kept trying to tell us that, you know, hey, we can make it back. I certainly believe that, but nothing is guaranteed in this league. It, we all know it, but it did feel like a Ben Johnson comment. It felt like Ben Johnson's going to move on. And he was such a big part of their success this year. If he moves on. I got to hit again. That's which, a connected staff right there, man. For him to yep. keep wanting to stay there, I, I really think they, hey, that that re-elevates Detroit because I did look oh, at yeah. him after the loss and I was like, eh, it's Detroit. Can they get back? But now, of course, they feel like a team that's kind of on a mission. I feel like the NFC favorites in 2024. Okay. Ben Johnson, <laughs> Super Bowl 
favorite Look, the 49ers get this one, I'll be all right next year. You know? Yeah, that's true. You know? That's, a, that's an unbreakable man if they win the Super Bowl. All yeah. right, Ben. So, offensive coordinator news all over the place. Brad Idzik, your new OC here wow. in Carolina, wide receiver coach for Tampa last year. And Ben Johnson continuing to be offensive coordinator in Detroit. He will be back with the Lions for 2024 interesting news all over the That's place a big win for them breaking in the nfl let's move on let's go down to the college ranks it's the campus corner coming up next greg olson right after that and ron rivera at two o'clock still a packed show these last two hours wesson walker sports radio 92.7 wfnz